2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, where Paul says that if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things become new. Then we focus on Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, another very powerful verse in the Bible, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he says, in the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You can say that these two verses are the biography of every Christian because everything begins here. Our identity begins right here. If any man is in Christ, you cannot be a new creation. You can't, you can't say all things have passed away and all things become new until we are in Christ. That's where everything begins. And so tonight we're going to continue along those lines. And one of the things, one of the reasons why it's so important that we come to know who we are and come to find out our true identity is so that we can be able to live the life that God intended for us to live and to be able to fulfill his purpose and fulfill our destiny. Understand that one of the important reasons for us knowing who we are and finding our true identity is so that we can be able to Live the life that God intended for us to live. Understand that we all have a purpose and a plan here on this earth. When we think about Moses, God never intended Moses to settle in the wilderness and settle for a shepherd. That's not part of God's plan. It wasn't what God intended because Moses was destined to be a deliverer and a long giver. God did not intend for Gideon to live the rest of his life in fear And constantly hiding from their enemies because that's not what God intended for him to be. That's not part of God's plan. Because Gideon was destined to be a mighty man of valor. And so it's important that we come to know who we are and come to walk into our true identity so that we can become or or be all that God wants us to be and fulfill the lives that are the purpose and plan that God has for us. But it comes to knowing who we are. One of our key verses, and I mean, one of our verses by our, our, I guess you can say our theme throughout the series is that if, if we forget who we are, then we don't act as we should. And that's so important to understand. And so tonight we're going to walk into this identity, and, and we, as by now we should already know that our true identity is in Christ. Amen? By this we already know that everything begins with Him. If it weren't for him, we're nothing. But as, re, as you remember also that the, uh, the illustration that I had used about the queen and her daughter. And how her daughter was behaving in a manner that did not reflect her, um, her identity. And sh- her behavior was an embarrassment to the royal family and to the queen. And if it weren't for the fact that the queen leaned over and firmly reminded her daughter who she was by telling her to sit up. Don't you know who you are? In other words, sit up and be the person you're supposed to be. Sit up and be the the princess that you are. I believe God is telling us tonight and through these series that he wants to shake us up and tell us to sit up and be who we're supposed to be. I believe God is telling us to sit up and act like a Christian. I'll take it another further. I'll take it even further than that. He's saying, sit up and act like you're saved. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 6 and let's continue. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 4. 
Paul writes, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul says that we were buried with Christ through the baptism into death, which means that you had died to sin. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, what it means to be dead to sin. And I used the illustration about a boyfriend and a girlfriend who breaks up in the relationship and go their separate ways, cutting off all ties. When someone is dead and buried, his life is over with. And Paul is saying that the believer is just as dead to sin as a dead man is dead and buried. Let me give you another illustration here. When a man who has lived his life as a slave to alcohol dies, he is buried and with it, his addiction and his drunkenness. So you can take him, his corpse, bring him into a barroom, prop him up on a stool and surround him with liquor and beer and he won't drink it. And the reason why is because he's dead to that life. He can't drink it because he's separated. He's, he's apart from that. He's no, he, that part of his life is no longer, he's not a slave to it. And so that's what Paul is saying about us. When we died to sin, we've separated everything from that life. That life no longer has a hold on us. We're no longer slaves to the sin and to, and to slavery because we've been set free. And so that is important that we understand that because that is the beginning of our new identity. We're not the old person anymore. We're the new person. So go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Says this, likewise you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12 says, therefore do not let sin reign or do not let sin control or dictate your life in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Why is that? Because we're no longer a slave to sin. So Paul is telling us, so even though it's, it's one thing to know that we've been set free from sin and from slavery, but it's another thing to walk and act in that. I used the illustration the last time as a general manager. Let's say you were a general manager in a company and your boss came up to you and told you you've been promoted to vice president. Okay, and he says, all right, clean out your office, report Monday morning to your new office, and then begin work right away. Well, you're not going to come in Monday morning and go back into your old general manager's office, do the old general manager work, and deal with the same people that as a general manager deals with. Why? Because you don't hold that position anymore. That's not a part of your life. You've been promoted. You've been elevated to a much higher position with a much greater purpose. So what we do is it's not enough to know that you've been promoted. Now what we do is we embrace our new position. We walk and step into that new place. And then we begin to act like a vice president. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's where some of us need to be. It's one thing to claim that we're Christians. It's one thing to quote scriptures. But unless we embrace who we are and begin to step into that role and position as a Christian and begin to act like one, that's what makes the difference. 
So the sooner we realize that we are raised from the dead with Christ, the sooner we can begin to walk in who we are. And the sooner we can walk in who we are, the more our behavior will begin to reflect our God-given identity. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to walk. The word walk implies a, uh, a lifestyle or, or to live. And the Bible uses the word walk several times. And I'm just going to go quickly through them right now and just write them down as reference. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, Paul is telling us to walk or to live after the Spirit. In other words, to be led by the Spirit of God, to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Romans 13, 13 says this, that we are to walk honestly or a, a better rendering to walk decently. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in that. And Ephesians 5.2 says we are to walk in love. And so these, this is who we are. This is our new role. This is our new identity. So when Paul says we are to walk in newness of life, he's telling us to walk in faith, not by sight. He says we are to walk in love. He says we are to walk decently. He says we are to walk in our new work, in our new calling. And so if we're not doing that, then maybe perhaps we've forgotten who we are. Go to Galatians chapter 2. When Paul talked about walking in newness of life, he was talking about a changed lifestyle that reflects our new identity, which is Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, this should be a very familiar verse to all of you by now. But it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And because Christ lives in us, that allows Christ to express himself fully. Now, I want you to think about that. If Christ lives in us, that means he's free to express himself, to express his power, to express his love, to express his wisdom, to express his anointing. How about when you're dealing with circumstances? It allows him to express himself in that situation as well. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And how many of us can say this, that Christ lives in me, he has full control in my life, he expresses himself fully through me in every area of my life. Can we honestly say that? But can I tell you this? It's a process. It's a process. I should say it's a lifelong process. But you know what? Each day there should be progress you know, it's like building a house. Before you can build a house on land, you have to clear that land of trees and, and, and rocks. Once that land is leveled, then you put the, 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 the foundation. Once the foundation is laid, then you put up the frame. Once the frame is put up, then you put up the walls. Once the walls put up, you put up the roof and so forth and so on. There should be progress in our lives. But it is an ongoing process. But we should be getting closer and closer. So in other words, what Paul is saying is this. Your identity is no longer you, but it's him. A you-centered, 
a people-centered, a position-centered, and a possession-centered identity will only lead you to an identity crisis. All of these things and anything else that, that is centered around you will only bring failure, frustration, confusion, and lack of purpose and meaning in your life. So until we focus and, and become more Christ-centered, that will bring everything that we need in life, provision, security, victory, and purpose. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Walking in our true identity. The key to knowing our true identity is so that we may act as we should. To live the way we're supposed to live. To be who we're supposed to be. First John verse two, uh, chapter 2 and verse 6 says this. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk. How? Just as he walked. In other words, what Paul, what Paul was saying is that when Christ walked this earth, lived in this earth, and the way he acted on this earth, the question is, are we acting in the same way? If we're claiming that we're Christians, if we're claiming that we're born-again believers, and by the way, to be a born-again believer, to be a Christian, means to be a follower of Christ, someone who follows in his, in his example. Are we following and doing and acting as he did when he was on this earth? And again, once again, it's a lifelong process, but is there any progress in your life? Go to Second Peter chapter 1. And I don't, want you, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel discouraged if you're not where you should be. Because here's the good news. Peter tells, tells us this in Second Peter 1 and verse 3. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Man, now that is powerful. For God to set us up to succeed, that is one thing. I mean, that is an awesome thing. So if God has provided us with everything that we need to live a godly life, any failure that we experience is on us and not on him. Because God has set us up to succeed. Go quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at some more scriptures and see where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act. In Acts chapter 5, I mean, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk. Remember, the word walk implies lifestyle in love. How? As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. In other words, what Paul is telling us that we're to walk in love in the same way that Christ also walked in love on this earth. And how did he do that? The Bible says he gave himself for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means that we are to walk in love not only to the saved, but to the unsaved. We are not only to walk in love to the pleasant people, but to the unpleasant people. We're not called just to love the humble, but also to love the proud, the arrogant, the ugly ones. 
the difficult ones. Look down in verse 25. Husbands, how many husbands we have here today? Love your wives. How? As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, we're talking about a love that is sacrificial. It's a giving of yourself. So husbands, you call to love your wives in such a way that you're to give yourself to her and for her. In other words, whatever she needs, you need to make sure that you're there for her. Now, husbands, I don't mean to get you in trouble because your wife will probably make those demands when you get home. But if you learn to practice to walk in love, you'll be, you should be all set. Go with me to John 13. John chapter 13. Here we see the story where Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet. That's 24 feet. Dusty, dirty, and smelly feet. But he did it for a reason because he tried to, he was teaching the disciples something. In verse 14 it says this. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 15 says this. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In other words, we are to learn to humble ourselves in such a way that that will serve you and benefit you. In other words, Jesus, even though he was a, a, a higher level, being a master and a teacher, yet he was able to cast aside his robe and took on the most menial, menial job that was done by the most lowest level of a slave to wash everyone's feet as an example because what he's saying was that we need to humble ourselves as well when it comes to serving one another. He says, I've left you an example. So do as I do. We want to walk in our true identity. That's part of it. I like what Philippians chapter 2 says. In verse 3, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, treat others as more important than yourself. Make others a priority before yourself. And in verse 4 it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, or let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, saints, it's, it's perfectly being spelled out here for us. Exactly the way we're to walk in our true identity. Walk in humility and serving one another, loving one another. Let me do one more. First Peter chapter 2. In verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Even in suffering... We're called to follow in his example. I'm not talking about suffering because of something you did, a bad decision or, or something that you've done, and you're paying the consequences for it. I'm talking about when you have to, when your faith is being challenged, 
when, when you're faced with a position where, where you're forced to compromise your faith, where your con- uh, convictions are being tested, and you're suffering for Christ's sake, the perfect example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who is faced with a decision to bow down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had commanded them to do and live, or to stick by their beliefs and their faith in God and die. And what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the fact that they were not moved or conditioned by the culture or the environment that they were in. They were not moved by the fact that they were threatened to die a horrible death. But they were true to their convictions because of who they believed in. And here's the thing. They had the law. We have something far better than that. We have the spirit of God. We have the life of God. We have Christ living in us. So we have no excuse. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. How do we maintain a life that reflects our true identity? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul tells the Ephesian church not to walk like the rest of the Gentiles walked. Then in verse 20, he says this, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22 says this, he challenges them and says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. Now it's interesting that Paul was talking about putting off and putting on. Is similar to putting on a garment and putting off a garment. And the implication here is that this is something that is not done once, but on a continuous basis. In other words, we are to constantly and daily be putting off and constantly and daily be putting on. That is the implication here. Now, In order for us to live a holy life and a righteous life, we need to be constantly putting off the old garment and be constantly putting on the new garment. For instance, if you're struggling with the garment of lust, that's something you need to be putting off. If you're struggling with the garment of pride, then you need to strip that off. If you're struggling with the the garment of covetousness, greed, envy, jealousy, and all these other things, these are garments that need to be stripped off. As a matter of fact, you need to be disrobed. Sometimes, this is where so many of us get in trouble. Sometimes the the old garment that we've been wearing it's become so comfortable because we've been wearing it for so long and feels so natural that we forget that we've been wearing it. 
And so what happens when you forget that you're wearing the old garment, you're not acting as you should. So what you need to do is you need to put off. As Paul says, put off. Throw off that old man. Because it becomes a problem when you get too comfortable and it becomes really natural for you. Then you don't see any change. But we need to be putting off these things. So, the question is this. What are you wearing today? And are you changing your wardrobe on a daily basis? Let's take a look at this new garment. We know what the old garment is. Let's take a look at this new garment. This new garment is the spirit of man. It is the born-again part of you. It is the part of you that's been recreated in Christ Jesus. It is the part of you that the Bible says that God created in true righteousness and holiness, which means to resemble God. That is the part of you that is perfect and cannot sin. First John 3, 9. Why don't you go there? First John 3, 9 says, whoever has been born of God, how many of you are born of God today? Well, he's talking about you. He says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So that is our new man. That is our new garment that we're to wear every day. Now, how do this putting off and putting on work? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say you became angry with your spouse. And you said some hurtful things to your spouse. But... Then you apologize and you repent it and you put off that anger. Now, the best way to put off something is by repenting. When you repent, you're changing your thinking, you're turning away from that, never to go back there again. So when you become angry, you put it off, but you're not properly dressed. Your wardrobe is not yet complete. Because you still have to put on the garment of patience and a garment of love. Because when you're wearing that, then you won't get angry with your spouse. You won't lose patience with your spouse. Because you put on the garment that is necessary. So, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. There's a special garment that God provides us. It's a garment that we should wear all the time, but especially when we're in a spirit of heaviness. That's the garment of praise. The garment of praise. When I think about that, I think about the apostle Paul. I'm not, yeah, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. When they were arrested, beaten, thrown into prison, and put in stocks. 
And keep in mind that after being beaten, you know that they're in pain, probably welts and probably bleeding in their backs, and with an uncertain future. But yet at midnight, the Bible says they began to pray and sing hymns of praise. And you know what happened after that? An earthquake came, shook the very foundation of that prison cell, and the Bible says that every prison door was open and every chain was unfastened. And as I was studying this, the Lord showed me something. He said this, when you put on the garment of praise and when you offer up the sacrifice of praise by the fruit of your lips, every prison door in your life will be open. Every chain that has had you bound in your life has been unfastened. Paul was instructing the church of Ephesus that we are to put on these things on a daily basis because these are things that we already possess. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 22, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23, gentleness, self-control. These are all garments that we have in our closet of our spirit man. And it's been made available to us so we can put on those garments every day of our lives. Put on the garment of peace. Put on the garment of gentleness. Put on a garment of faith and love and all these wonderful things. Listen, they say that clothes can enhance a person's appearance. So, ladies, on Sunday morning, when you go into your wardrobe and you pull out five or six, you know, outfits. Okay, I'm talking to somebody here tonight. And you try every one on, and finally you find the perfect one because after all the, you know, you're doing all this mixing and matching and you know, making sure that it matches your, your earrings and your shoes and everything else, and you found the perfect one. And you put that on, and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, okay, I look good. And then you go to your final affirmation and go into your husband and ask him, honey, how do I look? Now, husbands... When your wife comes up to you and asks you, honey, how do I look? Please make sure you put on the garment of wisdom <laughs> so you know exactly what you need to say at the time that you say it. Otherwise, you're going to be wearing the garment of loneliness that night. <laughs> and that garment of wisdom is always available. This means that we have a large wardrobe that God provides us with. Because the Bible says that we are partakers of the divine nature. So we're capable of walking in love. We're capable of walking in gentleness. We're capable of being patient. We're capable of being long-suffering. And those are garments that are made available to us and we can wear every day. But the moment the old man starts coming in, you need to put that off. And this is a constant daily thing to put on and to put off. Now, because we have this new wardrobe, this new wardrobe is everything that Christ is. And now that we know that our wardrobe looks like 
and, and then we can begin looking like and walking and, and, and acting like Christ because we have it available to us. Let's talk about becoming more and more like Christ. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. And as I get ready to close tonight. You and I are the image bearer of God. In the beginning, God uniquely honors humanity in this way. In all of his creation, he made nothing after his image. Everything he created, he spoke into existence until he came to man. And then God had come together and said, let us make man in our image. Let me end with a story. There was a man who was born with a serious facial deformity since childhood. And as you can imagine, his childhood was not very good. He was lonely. He was shunned. People made fun of him. He really had no friends. As he reached adulthood, he decided to move out of his old town and start a whole new life somewhere else. As he was on his way to his new destination, he saw a beautiful mask that fit perfectly in his deformed face, and it made him look handsome. <clears throat> now, at first, the mask was uncomfortable, and he was afraid that somebody would eventually find out who he really was. But he still kept it on and continued to wear it every day. Now, when he finally found his new place and new home, he settled down, and he made many friends, and he fell in love. But then this wicked woman, who was from his old town, decided to come visit that town and found out who his true identity was. And in front of his friends and in front of his fiancée, she forced him to remove the mask. When he removed the mask, what they saw was a handsome face. Because you see, his face had conformed to that mask. Now, this story is comparable to Christ. In Romans 8, verse 29, it says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, that is, to be made similar to or to be fashioned like to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. The Amplified Version says that he was molded into the image of his son, and to share inwardly his likeness. Ephesians 4.24 says that you put on the new man, which was created according to God and through righteousness and holiness. In other words, to be created to resemble God. So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4.24 and in Romans 8.29 is this, and he's telling us this, that we are to go ahead and put on Christ. It may seem unnatural to you, it may seem uncomfortable for you. You might even say to yourself, who am I kidding? Who am I fooling? Trying to be somebody I'm not. But here's this is what I want you to know. Every day, just keep putting on Christ. And every day, you'll grow to look more and more like him. Because we're bearer images of God. We bear the image of Christ. That is who we are. That is our true identity. We are to walk in who we are. And we have everything that we need to live life 
that God has called us to live. We have been called to succeed and not to fail. And as I said before, this is a process. But the more you keep putting on Christ, keep it on, and you become more and more like him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father God, for receiving your word. We thank you, Father God, that you spoke to every one of us. We thank you, Father God, to show, for showing us who we really are in Christ. Thank you for helping us, Lord God, to walk in our true identity, to be everything you've called us to be. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, for speaking to everyone here tonight, opening up their eyes and their hearts and encouraging them, Father God, and bringing them to a place that you need them to be. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that as they leave here tonight, that you begin to minister and continue to minister to them by your spirit. Begin to speak to them, reveal yourself to them, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.